Hey, this is David Merrill, pastor of the Well Church. I would like to first thank you for downloading the app and listening to what God is doing through the life and ministry of the Well Church. I would also ask that before you listen to this message, that you would pray that God not only continues to transform lives through this ministry, but also that as you hear the Word of God proclaimed, pray that the Holy Spirit will convict you in areas that your life has not been given over to God, empower you to repent and turn, but also embolden you to be doers of the Word and not simply hearers, in order that you become a light in your homes, in your schools, in your workplaces, and even in your local church body. Let us be radically in love with Jesus and radically in love with his people. Once again, I just thank you for listening, and may God bless you abundantly. This morning uh, is probably one of the most uh, inappropriate Mother's Day sermons that uh, I could preach. We're talking about the government, okay? We're, we're going head deep into our government, and uh, not our government, but the government, and our responsibility as believers with the government. Last week we talked about, last few weeks we talked about our responsibility with God and that we, we were called, we are called to submit our lives as a living sacrifice unto God, that we are our hands and feet, our mouth. Everything we have is God's, and so we, we offer as a living sacrifice. And now we're going to get into, okay, now what, do, what is our responsibility with our government? Our officials. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to just jump in Romans chapter 13, verses 1, and we're just going to get through 7. Okay, we're just going to, the first seven verses of chapter 13. So this is what Paul says Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. <coughs> Sorry. And those who resist will be, bring judgment upon themselves. But the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you, not, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute, uh, execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render Therefore, to all their render their all therefore to all their due taxes to whom taxes are due customs who to whom customs are due fear to whom fear and honor to whom honor. So these are the seven verses are probably in the scriptures, the New Testament, the most specific um, role of the Christian's responsibility to the government. See, as we jump into this, we got to understand that there are two areas or two, two groups of, of people that the, the Christian body, the Christian people are to have responsibility to, and that's the church and to the government. There's two different roles, but we have different responsibilities to, to, to both of them. We have a responsibility to the church, as we talked about last week, and we have a responsibility to the government. Okay, so now, as we jump in, we need to understand our responsibility to the government. Jesus says, you know, when, when the... Uh, Religious leaders went to Jesus, and they were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to get him in a trap. They weren't asking. They were trying to do what they always do, which is ask him a question that if he answers one way, he's going to make some people mad. If he answers another way, he's going to make others mad. And so they were trying to trap Jesus, and they asked Jesus, should we pay taxes? And because here's the thing. If Jesus would have said yes, you see, the Jewish people, the Hebrews were under Rome's thumb, under their oppression. They were waiting for the Messiah to release them from their oppression. So if he would have said yes, it's good to pay taxes, then he would have made a whole group of Jewish people upset. If he would have said no, we don't pay taxes, which is what we would have loved Jesus to say, no, we don't pay taxes, then he would have made the Romans uh, upset and he would have been an enemy of the state. And so the question is, is do we pay taxes? Have we trapped Jesus? What was Jesus' response? He says, yo, give me a coin. 
So they give him a denarii, their denarii, they, and they hand it to him. And he looks at the coin and he says, whose face is on the coin? And they say, well, that's Caesar. So he looks at the people, he looks at the Jewish leaders, and he says, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and give unto God that which is God. So Jesus doesn't, as much as we would love him to say, no, you are a new creation. You are of God. You are under the kingdom of God, which means that you have no responsibility to earthly governments. He doesn't say that. He says, look, we give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. We give unto God what is God. So every believer has a responsibility to our government. We have a role to play in our government. Um, and so, and ultimately, we've got to understand our mission. Last week we talked about this idea of what is our goal in this church, in this world. What is our responsibility that we are, our goal in the way that we do not consider ourselves as more highly than we ought to, our goal is to live peaceably, to have an effective witness, to be above reproach, to put on display God to this world, to put on display the glory of Christ in this world, to be the salt and life in the way that we live in peace with others. We are the peacemakers in this world. And so a part of that comes to our civil responsibility to obey the government. And not just obey. Paul's going to show this is not just about obedience to law. You know, begrudgingly, obedience. This is about honoring. This is about respecting. This is about submitting under the government to put Christ on display. So the question is, is what does it look like for us? What is our role with the government? And it's the word that we don't like to use. It's the word submission. Okay, the Bible is very clear. There are things that we are to call to submit to. We're called to submit to God. We're called to submit to each other, as the Bible says. The Bible says wives submit to their husbands. It says children submit to their parents. It also here says that every believer is called to submit to their government, federal, state, and local government. So I'm trying to think where I, where I was going with that. Um, anyways, so <laughs> we're called to honor and respect our government. Um, and so the question, this is a, when he says be in subjection, that's the word submission. This is an imperative or, or passive, pass, passive imperative statement, which means two things. This is a command, okay? This is every bit of a command as do not murder, do not steal, do not lie, do not commit adultery. This is a command from God. So we are called to submit in honor and respect our government. But secondly, this passive imperative, what it carries with it is it's a willful submission. Okay, this is a willful submission. This is uh, that not that we do it begrudgingly. This is not that we do it only when people are watching. We do it only when we know we're going to get caught. Do you speed only when you know there's police around? This is not about we do it just to get by. It's that it's a, it comes from a heart of willful obedience, a heart from willful submission. Because ultimately, just as we talked about last week, and just as Paul says here, we're doing it as unto God. We're doing it as unto Christ. So our obedience and submission to the government is, is as if we are doing it for God or unto God. And so Christians are to be the light to the world. And what that means is we are to be good citizens. Even when nobody's watching, even though we know we won't get caught, we are to obey and submit to the law. First Peter, Peter says this in chapter 2. He says, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether to the king as supreme or to the governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of the foolish men, as free yet not using liberties as cloaks for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and what does it say? Honor the king. So we're to be upstanding, law-abiding citizens. Now, here's the question. Is there ever a time where Christians have to break the law? Is, are, the, is there, are there no limitations to our obligation to submission to the government? And the answer is yes. 
There are times where Christians cannot, will not obey man's law. And that is only when it is in direct contradiction to the law of God. And when I, when I say that and what I mean by that, it, is a, it has to be a law that is put in place, that is implemented by the state, by the government, that directly requires you to break a command or ordinance of God. Okay, let's, let's get political here. Let's get deep. Let's get hot topic here. Let's take, let's take abortion. Okay, that's a, that's a hot topic today. That's a, uh, that's a uh, contra- not contradicting, but that's a um, controversial issue today. Not, not for me. Um, it's not controversial to me. I know what the Bible says, but it's a controversial issue in the, in, in the government right now. Now, the thing with abortion, if the, if the government, right now, there's no law in place that says that you have to have an abortion. There's no law in place, okay? But if the government decided, okay, we are going to create a law that after you have one kid, just like they do in China, after you have one kid, you have to have an abortion after that. As believers, we have to stand up and stand on the word of God and say, we can't do that. And so what we're going to see is that the laws that the government in place, puts in place have moral influence, have moral uh, uh, attachment. You see, there's this, you know, we all are familiar with the separation of church and state. We're all familiar with that concept of separation in church and state. The problem is, is the founding fathers never intended for separation of church and state to be what it is today. They never intended for that. They never, they never intended for, uh, for Christians or, or Christian morals or Christian ethics or our faith to not have an influence and a direct influence on our politics. Like when they said separation in church and state, they weren't saying that Christians cannot be politicians and their Christian values and views cannot influence or directly uh, be uh, implemented in law in the government. That's not what they intended. What they intended was the government has no bound, no, they cannot touch the religious sector. There's that separation. The government can't come into the church and tell them what they can and cannot believe. That was what they intended. And so I believe that it is actually wrong for us to compartmentalize our private life from our public life. If I ever hear a Christian or a politician, or a Christian really for that matter, make statements like, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't bring my faith into my politics. If I hear a politician, I bring my faith into my, the way that I vote. Guys, that, that is so unbiblical. Like, let me tell you this. If you are one of those Christians that say, I'm a Christian, but I don't vote my faith, I don't vote uh, concerning the, the morals of my, my, the Bible, I vote my job. I vote for my bank account. I vote for whatever president or candidate looks better. Um, Guys, I'm going to tell you this right now. You need to repent. You need to repent because there is an area of your life that you've not surrendered unto God. You've compartmentalized your life that God has not ruled and reigned over area of your life. And guys, the same goes for the politicians. You know, a politician cannot separate their faith from their politics. That's not what separation of church and state was ever about. That our faith has to engulf every aspect of our life, including politics. You know, I always get frustrated when people say, you guys, let's not talk about faith and politics. So basically, let's not talk about the two things that are the most important, okay? Our faith and our politics, and they should be interlinked because let me let me i'm gonna hit on some tough stuff here i don't understand how a christian can support a politician who is pro-abortion i don't get it i don't understand how a christian can vote for a politician, not support, but vote, vote for a politician who says that a man and a man can be together and is beautiful and is loving and is good. And, it's, and, and sometimes go as far as to say it is godly. I don't get it. 
Or that there's no, inter- there's no difference between a man and a woman, that they're interchangeable, that a man could be a man and a woman could be a, 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 a man, or a man could be a woman and a woman could be a man, and that there's no difference. Because I don't know how, and I'm using these hot topics because this is the political realm we find ourselves in today, but how can a Christian vote and support these candidates when they're direct conflict with the Word of God? And look, I know that's tough, and I know that's a hot topic, and some of y'all are thinking, man, there's not going to be a church after the coronavirus is, is left if you keep talking about these little hot topics. It's a no-no. You don't talk about the politics from the pulpit. And look, guys, I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not telling you which political party to stand on. What I am saying is that you cannot separate your faith from the ballot box. You cannot separate your faith from any aspect of your life. You are first and foremost citizens of God's kingdom. Of He is the king. He is the Lord over our lives. And we cannot have a division. We cannot compartmentalize our lives. Guys, when the government passes more and more laws, when they pass more and more laws that legalize things that God has, abandoned, uh, God has forsaken or God has called wicked or evil, when they start to make uh, make unions that God doesn't recognize as unions and they make that beautiful, the more that our government, the liberal our government gets, because we are one law away from this message, for me to say these things, we are one law away for our doors to be shut down, for me to be arrested or me to be fined or as a hate crime, guys, it's all over the world. It's happening all over the world right now where pastors are being fined or criminalized for hate crimes, for not acknowledging certain things that the world says is good. And I know that we're like, man, David, that's, that's crazy. That would never happen in the land of the free. Guys, while the church is sleeping, the darker our country's getting. While the church is not earnestly praying, and standing on the truth of God's word, while liberal seminaries are pumping out pastors left and right that do not stand on the word of God as the inerrant word of God, while churches are teaching that there's moral relativity, that there's no right and wrong, while people, the churches are being filled with there's no one way to God, that pastors are actually standing up saying that all gods are the same, that it's all good. Guys, the more that we're walking away, the weaker and weaker the church has become. Guys, we are called to be the salt and light of this world. And so when you see the corruption of this culture, I don't blame the culture. I blame the church. I blame the church because the church was called to be the light. And if there's darkness, it's because the church isn't being the light. As goes the church, so goes the culture. Because we are in desperate need of revival. But in order to have revival, we need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to the word of God. We need to stand on the truth of God because here's the deal. We can vote our conscience. We can vote moral, God's morals. We can, we can pray for our country. But, and we can put all kinds of laws to implement it in our country that are good moral laws of God. But all we're doing is putting moral laws to reign over immoral people. That's not our heart. Our heart as Christians is to transform people's life, to have life and grace and mercy and life everlasting. And the only way that's going to happen is if we are, the church gets back to the word of God, the life-changing, life-transforming truth of God that is penetrating the heart, that the Holy Spirit transforms and speaks, that we need to renew our minds with the word of God. Guys, you could call me a bigot. You could call me a hater. You could call me old-fashioned. You could say whatever you want about me, but I am tired of the church being asleep because I've seen the wake and the damage of moral relativism. I've seen the result of us in the name of tolerance. The name of tolerance, the result of it. The name of, 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 of moral beauty or worldly love or worldly acceptance. I've seen the damage that this narrative that the world is pushing 
But the world is pushing this narrative that we're all, the church is like, well, I want to be unloving. I don't want to go against that because they're saying that's what's love. That's tolerance. That's acceptance. Guys, the damage has been broken marriages, fatherless homes, abused children, more people on antidepressants than ever before, more people on anti-anxiety uh, uh, medicine, more opioid addiction, more drug addiction, more alcohol addiction, more brokenness, more suicide, more murder. Our country is falling apart as we're in the name of progressivism our country is falling apart in the name of love in the name of acceptance and the church is asleep because it's time to wake up to the bible it's time to get back to the word of god because i've seen the result of our narrative that the world's pushing and i've also seen the result of the word of god in somebody's life i've seen it in my own life I've seen how the word of God has transformed me and it's transformed me. The more that I'm in the word of God, the better father I am, the better husband I am, the more peace I have, the more hope I have, the more strength I have to get through hard times, the more joy I have. I've seen what the word of God does in my life. I've watched people literally go from brokenness, depression, being abused, being, being on the end of their, the rope, ready to kill themselves. I've seen it, I've walked with them and I've seen the word of God as it renews their mind and transforms their spirit that they come to life because we as christians we cannot abandon the word of god we cannot abandon the, the word of truth we've got to hold fast to it because that is the only hope for a culture who is walking away and the only hope for the culture is the light and the salt to actually be there for the church to stand up the church to rise up so you could call me what you want you call me however you, whatever you want, but I'm going to stand on the word of God. I will not compromise it, and we don't need to because that's the only way life is going to happen. That's the only way hope is going to happen. That's the only way truth. We don't compromise the world's peace for true peace. But anyways, but Paul is saying that we do follow the word of God. We do follow the law. We do submit under the law in as much as they don't contradict the word of God. And when they do contradict the word of God, we have to stand on the word of God. We, we submit to God, first and foremost. And, and we see this throughout scripture. We see, remember in, in Exodus, when Pharaoh told the, the Hebrew midwives that they needed to take every Hebrew boy and kill him. Okay? That was the, that was the law of the land. That was Exodus, that was the, or Egypt's law. Pharaoh said, kill all the babies in Egypt. Well, the Hebrew midwives, they were like, we are going to submit under God above Pharaoh, and so they actually obeyed God's commands. They, they, they followed God. And thank God for that because then we had Moses. You get to Daniel chapter 3. And in Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he made a golden statue. And he said, everybody needs to bow down to this golden statue. He says, when the band plays, the band's going to play this little, di this little jig. And, and then everybody is going to bow down all at once. The sea of people, everybody's going to bow down to this golden image and so the band plays and everybody just imagine thousands and thousands of people in this big group of people everybody bowing down to this image except for three people three young boys just standing strong standing tall Shadrach Meshach and Abednego standing there while a sea of people I mean guys what would you do like, if you were Shadrach, like, what would you do? Like, uh, some of us, I mean, let's be honest, let's be real. Some of us would be, like, bending down, but we're not, like, God, I'm not really bowing. I'm just tying my shoe, okay? You know my heart, all right? I don't, I, you know, we're not really bowing to you. And see, some of us would have, God, if I, if I could die, because the result of this, if you don't bow, you're going into the fiery furnace. And we would say all kinds of stuff. Well, God, you know my heart, and I know if I die in the fiery furnace, I won't be effective to you because there's a lot of pagans around here. I need to be a good witness. I need to be a strong witness. I can't do that if I'm dead. So I'm just going to tie my shoe, okay? And, and, but what did they do? They stood tall. Even in the face of the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he goes to the, the boys and says, look, if you do not bow, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And this is what they said to him. If that is the case, O oh God, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from being in the fiery furnace. O oh king, or sorry, and he will deliver us from your hand, O oh king. But if not, let it be known, okay? But if not, if he doesn't, let it be known, O oh king, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. 
my God will save us. Like we're going to stand on our God. We're going to stand for our God. We're not bowing down to the golden image. But here's the kicker. Even if he doesn't, even if I, we go to the fiery furnace, even if we go to prison, even if you execute me, I don't care. I will not bow down to anybody but Yahweh. I won't do it. And so what do they do? They throw them in the furnace. God saves them. Fast forward three chapters. Daniel and new king Darius. Darius, he, he uh, gives a decree that everybody has to stop praying for 30 days to everybody, every other God except for him and his God. Well, Daniel cannot do that. He cannot stop praying to, to Yahweh. He's got to pray to Yahweh and do, does what he normally does three times a day, morning, midday, night. That's what Daniel did every day. And so the spies were watching Daniel because they were trying to trap Daniel. And so they saw that Daniel prayed. And so they brought him before King Darius. Now, Darius loved Daniel. And he had a heart and broken when he found out Daniel disobeyed the law because now he's got to throw him into the lion's den. So Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Lion's mouths were shut. It was awesome. Cool story. But guys, that's the truth. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the midwives, get to Acts chapter 4 when the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin said, you guys do not go out and proclaim and preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Talking to the disciples. And what are the disciples? We must obey God above men. We must obey God above men. Now, I, I want you to see something here. This is very, very important. In every one of these cases, especially Daniel, but all the rest as well, the goal here was not disobedience to governing authorities. That was not the emphasis. The emphasis was not disobedience. The emphasis, the goal was obedience to God. Because like I said, we were going to willful submission. You see, the willful submission, our goal, our heart is to submit to government. Our heart is to respect and honor government. We want to follow the government. And we will follow the government in as much as they do not contradict or call us to do something that's against God. It is not we don't want to follow the government, but we'll do it and look for any opportunity to not do it. No, we want to. And unless they ask us to do something in, contra in conflict with God's commands, we're going to and with a joyful, willful heart because it's a willful obedience. And that is where you say, well, that's easy for Paul to say. You know, we live in America. We've got a corrupt government, right? We've got a lot of corruption going on. It's easy for Paul to say, you know, obey your government. Guys, do you know who the emperor was during the time of uh, uh, when he wrote this letter, Rome? Emperor Nero. Okay, Emperor Nero. If you know your history, Emperor Nero was the most wicked emperor that has ever ruled over Rome. He was wicked. He was corrupt. You know, and under Emperor Nero, the Christians faced the hardest persecution they've ever experienced. I'm talking about they got thrown into jail and they got thrown into prison. They got, they got made fun of and mocked and chased down and, and kicked out. No, they got put onto stakes, wooden stakes, put in Emperor Nero's garden, and they got lit on fire to light up his garden. They got sewn into animal carcasses and let wild dogs eat them alive. Emperor Nero burned down half the city in order to expand land, and he blamed the Christians on doing it. Not to mention, he was in at least two homosexual marriages, one with a young boy. And he was known for incest. He was known for rape. And he was known for major, major cruelty. This was Paul's ruler. This was the, the ruler of Rome when Paul wrote this letter. So here's the thing. There's no, there's no cop-out. There's no scapegoat. There's no, but if my government was better, I could do this. If, if my government was, if my president was better, I could submit. But there's none of that. This is, no matter what government you find yourself in, no matter how wicked or good they are, this is submission to your government. Put yourself in subjection to your government. Paul followed this example that even when Paul was falsely accused and abused, even when Paul and Silas got thrown into prison and, you know, falsely for doing good is what Peter says, be, you know, uh, be praised when you are accused for doing good. Paul was put into prison falsely 
And what did he do? He sung and praised and prayed to God, him and Silas, in the prison cell. I mean, if, if it was me, I'd be like, I'm an American. I know my rights. This is unjust. This is unfair. I've done nothing wrong. I want my phone call. No, but Paul, and this is what we were talking about in our men's group, man. Paul, I love Paul because his whole mission was to put God on display. His whole purpose, he never let an opportunity go to waste. And so he, he, didn't, he never went to prison for doing evil, okay? They, he was never justly put into prison. Paul was never, just as Jesus was never, was not justly put on the cross. Paul was never justly put into prison. It was always unjust for doing good. But he never let a situation go to waste. If he was shipwrecked, he pre witnessed to the, the, the prisoner. Paul was witnessing the people on the boat that were taking him to prison, that were taking him to Rome to eventually give his head cut off. When he was in prison unjustly, he's sitting there praying. Paul converted many of the prison guards that he was around. Because his life wasn't about my rights, my glory, my reputation. Give me what is mine and what I deserve. Paul was like, look, I'm going to do what's good. I'm going to submit under the government. If they falsely accuse me, throw me in a prison. Man, that's an opportunity for me to persecute, be, as, be persecuted like Christ, to take up what's lacking under the cross of Christ. And then while I'm here, I'm going to bring some people to Jesus. While I'm here, I'm going to witness. The, if you get falsely accused, thrown into jail for doing what is good, man, you got a whole new mission field to tell people about Jesus, y'all. And that was Paul's attitude. And so in the midst of all that, Paul, he praised. He prayed. He loved. I, I love the story of Pastor um, George Evin. He was into the, um, the Russian, he was a Russian pastor under the, right before the fall of the Soviet communism. He suffered along with many other pastors. But this is what he, he recounts. He says, however severe their mistreatment became, pastors and other Christians, they determined to obey the law, just or unjust laws with the exception of laws that were forcing them to cease from worship or disobey God's word. They followed Peter's words. They willfully suffered for doing what is right, but not for doing what is wrong. They would never suffer as a murderer. They would never suffer as a thief, as an evildoer, or as a troublesome meddler. They would gladly suffer, though, as a Christian. So we subject ourselves, no matter how wicked, or how good our government is, we put ourselves under submission of them. We obey as long as they are not asking us to do something contrary to God's word, we subject ourselves under the, our government. And Paul gives four reasons why we do so. The first reason, he says, for there is no authority except from God, and the authority that exists are appointed by God. Okay, so the first reason that Paul says is, all human government is ordained by God for the purpose, for the benefit of our society. There is no power, there is no authority, there is no government that is outside the realm of the sovereignty of God. God is in control. There, no power exists outside of the, the source of God. So the question now is, is, well, what about Nero? What about Genghis Khan? What about Hitler? They were under the sovereignty and the power of God? Yes, they were. But here's the deal. God in his sovereignty has given limited power to Satan. That's why Peter says he is the ruler of this age. But Paul says that people have been blinded by the God of this age. See, Satan cannot make people sin, but he can entice us in our flesh. And so all power is under God's control. Now how they wield that power is up to them. And they will be responsible for how they wield that power. But ultimately, there's no power that exists outside of God's hand. And here's an encouragement. No matter how wicked the government has ever been, the church has always thrived, especially in wicked governments. The gates of hell will not take the, the church down. In fact, right now, what we see in China is a thriving, growing church where Christianity is illegal, 
What we see in Africa where many Christians are being persecuted is the church is thriving and growing. What we see in the Middle East where Muslims are predominantly ruling and persecute Christians is a thriving, growing church. It's actually in America where we see a complacent church, the land of the free, because in our freedoms, in our liberties, it's brought us back into bondage. But in thriving, wicked cultures, wicked nations, wicked governments, we actually see the church thriving. It's actually growing. So we submit ourselves under the governing authorities because God has placed them there. He is in control of them. And therefore, the second, the natural result of this is because of that, whoever resists the authorities resists the ordinances of God. Okay, so it, it's the, the natural result, the, the implications here. If, you are, if God has placed the government in charge, you disobey the government, you're disobeying God. It's like a CEO, okay? This is a pretty simple concept, but a CEO places management under him, and the management controls the, the, um, the employees. Now, if you disobey your management, you are disobeying the CEO. You're inevitably disobeying what the CEO desires because he has placed these people above you unless the management is asking you to do something that you know that, the CEO would not like, steal from your company. Of course, you know that's not going to happen. So disobey management, you disobey CEO. You disobey the government that God has placed in, it's as if we are disobeying God. In fact, Robert Halden said this, the people of God then ought to, ought to consider resistance to the government under which they live as a very awful crime, even as to resist God himself. So that's the, that's the first and second reason why we submit to government. God has placed them there. And our first and foremost is to walk in obedience with God. And so therefore we walk in obedience and submission to whom he placed in charge. This third reason, Paul says, those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not terror to good works, but to evil. Do you, do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do you want do what is good, and you have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For each, for he is God's minister to avenge, to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Guys, the purpose, the primary function of the government, and here's, here's basically what, the, what God is saying. The, the primary function is to praise good and restrain evil. Okay? Even the most oppressive, even the most wicked governments, that's what they're there for, is to restrain evil and to praise good. Now, in, in, in the Christian world, we hope that the laws, what we define as good, comes from the Word of God. The problem is, is that's not always what happens, and that's not what's happening in our culture. In fact, George Washington said, it is impossible to govern a nation without the Bible and without God. And unfortunately, we find ourselves in a situation where our government is trying to, 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 to run a nation without both. We're trying to get rid of God, and we're trying to get rid of the Bible. And then when you have that happen, is that the definition of goodness has no anchor point. The definition of evil has no anchor point. And so when you're trying to govern what is good and evil, the job of the government is to govern that which is good and to oppress that which is evil. But if you have no foundation of good and evil, then what is good today will be evil next week or in 10 years from now. What used to be evil back then is now good today, and there's no anchoring point. But ultimately, so our hope as Christians, and this is where suffering for what is good, when the Paul says and Peter says, don't be afraid to suffer for that which is good, because a lot of times our definition of good, the Bible's definition of good, disagrees with the world's definition of good. But so the major role of the government is to oppress evil. Now, this is obviously, um, generally speaking, Paul suffered for doing good. But their job is to stop you from speeding. Their job is to stop you, oppress evil, stop you from murdering, to stop abuse from happening, to stop theft from happening, is to govern over the people and to oppress evil and oppress. In fact, even the most wicked nations, we see this, that their job, and they do, they stop murder. They stop evil. You know, and in fact, in a lot of these wicked nations and the wicked governments throughout history, we actually see less murder, less theft, 
less, less uh, evil as far as these, these things that we call evil in there because the punishment's wicked. The punishment's harder. And if I knew that I was going to get my hand cut off every time I stole something, like in the Muslim country, I ain't going to steal something. And so, in fact, we see it in America. I'm not going to get into that, but America's, our penal system um, is a little weaker than most, and therefore we have a lot more higher of a crime. I'm not saying I would, I'd want capital punishment or anything. I'm just saying what we see in major uh, wicked or what we deem as wicked societies is they do the same. Their government's in charge of keeping evil at bay, okay? So the final reason, let me just kind of run through this. The final reason that we submit to authority is for our conscience sake. This is the final reason. It's our conscience sake. See, every Christian, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, which means that we should be, our conscience should go off. Our conscience should be um, against disobedience or every time you break the law even when you don't get caught man it should speak against our conscience tell me you're speeding you should in your conscience no this is not right that's why you you buy those little uh what are those speedometer things or whatever the uh radar detectors because you know it's not right you know you shouldn't do it and see, our conscience as Christians, if we're, if we're doing this out of a willful heart and in, in submission and obedience to God ultimately and then to the government, then our conscience, for our conscience' sake, we need to subject ourselves under the government to obey the government, whether they're watching us or not, whether we get caught or not, because it's not out about we just don't want to be caught. It's about we want to do all we can to serve the Lord. And serving the government, as Peter says, is serving the government as unto the Lord. And then finally, how we deal with the government is that we pay our taxes. Now there's a lot of verses in the Bible. Somebody serious talking to me over here. Uh, Siri, shut up. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of... Uh, Verses in the Bible that I wish weren't in there. Um, this is one of them. Okay? This is one of, in my flesh. I do not want to pay taxes. None of us do. We don't like taxes. It's not, some of us would say it's, it's theft. Okay? But ultimately, the Bible says we pay our taxes, which means that we pay our taxes. But hear this. This doesn't mean be dumb. Okay? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and not a penny more, all right? Not a penny more, which means that we can take tax, credit, tax, tax breaks. We can do all these things that we can. See, the Bible does say God loves a cheerful giver to the church and to people, not to the government, okay? Now hear me. This is not a command that we need to, you know, make it rain on the government, give far and beyond our government. It is a submission. We give what is due. They, we give what they ask. We give what's required. And if they have tax breaks, they have these things that we could use, take advantage of, we do, okay? That's that. Just don't be dumb, all right? Don't make it rain on the government. Okay, so that's that. That's, that's submission to our government. Now, let me, let me just say a few things before we close. This is one of the, like I said, it's a weird sermon, um, especially on Mother's Day. But I think it's needed. I think that we need it. And this is what I want to say um, as closing. First thing I want to say is I'm noticing a trend in our, especially with the younger people, younger generation, but I, it's older generation too, is that we, we're becoming less and less respectful to police officers, to government authorities. We're becoming less and less submissive to them and I don't know if it's just this rebellious spirit that's coming up out of this next generation even my generation and I've seen it some of the older but where you know a police officer pulls you over and now we're having people only crack their window and they got their camera out trying to catch the cop into doing something wrong and antagonizing the police officers and and doing all these things because I have one rule and two rules don't pee in the wind and second rule don't piss off somebody with a gun okay those are the two rules I live by. God, by I'm, I'm, I'm alive still. And, and so, guys, when a police officer pulls you over, let's not do this garbage where we're trying to disrespect them, man, especially as Christians. Let's 
hands 10 and 2 and be respectful. Thank them for pulling you over because you're speeding. They saved everybody else from your, from your dumb butt, okay? You're speeding. So police officers should look forward to pulling over Christians because we're going to be honorable. We're going to be respectable. We're going to actually show them with, uh, talk to them with dignity and respect, and we're going to submit under their authority. Now, if they do something unjust to us, once again, we did what we can to be above reproach. If they still want to unjustly do something to us, man, then hopefully the, the, the legal system will take care of it. But as unto us, remember, God's job is vengeance. The, the state's job is justice. Our job is love and respect and the same, um, same mind towards other people, including our government. So that, this, this new movement of rebellion should not be believers. Hear that. Our job is to proclaim Christ and transform the hearts with the word of God. But secondly, in this politically hot environment that we find ourselves in, you know, where, and it's getting worse. I've never, I don't remember a time where there's so much hatred was going on between a Republican or a Democrat, just because who they voted for, they, the stance that they have. I never remember a time where we can't have civil conversations anymore. We can't agree to disagree anymore. We can't have any kind of dialogue anymore. It's so wicked, and it doesn't help that some fool can sit in his mom's basement and write anything he wants on a computer screen with the safety of home. Like, and this rhetoric and poison and toxin and slander and remarks towards our government officials and towards other people. Guys, I don't care if your government is wicked. I don't care if your government is passing laws that go against God's word. I don't care what's happening in your government. We do not slander, speak against, spit poison. That is not a believer. Because we are called to be the peacemakers. We are called to lift these people up in prayer and honor and respect. We are called to submit under their authority. Once again, this isn't about us being pro-God and anti-government. This is us having a heart for the government. It's a submission under the government. This is, this is Daniel. When Daniel, under two kings, Darius and Nebuchadnezzar, both kings he disobeyed. Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't eat what he was supposed to eat. He disobeyed the, 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 the king. Darius, he disobeyed the prayer ordinance. He disobeyed the king, the most powerful man in the world at this time. He disobeyed two of them because he was always going to obey God. But in, under Nebuchadnezzar, Darius rose to second right next to Nebuchadnezzar. Under uh, 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 Daniel rose to second right under Nebuchadnezzar. Under Darius, Daniel rose to second under Darius. He was Darius' best friend. Darius grieved and fasted when he had to throw him into the lion's den because he loved Daniel. Guys, what kind of person is able to disobey the king and yet be loved and cherished by the king, the most powerful person? And he had no reason. Daniel didn't offer Darius or Nebuchadnezzar anything to offer. He just loved them. He respected them. He submitted to them. And he just, in love and respect and submission, was not able to obey the commands that they put in place in certain times, but he knew that he had a heart for them. Because we need to be like Daniel. Then even when we can't obey, the people in charge, the people around us, the people that disagree with us know that we have a heart for you. Even when I can't agree with you on something, they know I have a heart for you. And I respect you. And I love you. I can't agree with you. I can't submit under this, but I love you. And I have a heart for you. So don't tell me you're praying for President Trump and then slandering his name. Don't give me it. Don't tell me you're praying for AOC and then slandering her name. Don't give me that garbage. Because as believers, we vote our Bible and we respect and honor and submit to the outcome. Because our goal is not, this is not our world, this is not our home. Our goal is, is to stand above reproach as a light and salt to this world, walking and, and living by the truth of God, 
so that everybody can know and come to the love and grace of Jesus Christ. So if you really believe this is not your home, guys, and I'm speaking to myself. Look, I have a tendency here. I grew up in a political hot zone. My dad was a strong, outspoken Republican. My mom was a Democrat. Now, this was before the time where you could actually be a Democrat and Republican and get along. I mean, this was that time. Uh, but they loved each other. They made it work. And so I have a tendency in my flesh to, man, to start going off on people and, and trying to debate with people and going, you know, just all kinds of stuff, man. And this week I was just praying, God, let my house be a house of respect and honor for our government. Let my house and my, my family see a man who stands on the word of God but loves and respects and, and uh, or honors and respects and submits to our government. Because for me and my house, I want to serve the Lord in all that I do. And this is an area in my life that I've not submitted to Christ. This is an area of my life that I've not submitted to God because I've not in full conscience honored and submitted to my government. Look, I'm a conspiracy theorist, y'all. So I'm always looking for opportunities to walk away and, and, and turn away from the government, to, 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 to slander and blaspheme the government. And this is an area where I have to submit. And so I would love for the church to start becoming peacemakers in this political hot zone. That we stand up in the midst of, of a slander and evil and wicked speech and rhetoric. And we shine love and peace and joy in the truth of the word of God. So let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, I praise you. I worship you. We worship you today, Lord. Father, it's hard even in the faith, when it, we're standing in the face of government that does not submit to your word, a government that does not do always the just things. When there's a lot of injustice in the world to, to stand in submission under them because you place them there. It is hard to respect people when they have stances that disagree with you. It's hard. I'm going to be honest. It's hard to love people when they completely go against everything that you say is good. God, but this love and this submission and this respect can only come from you, Father. So we ask that you give us a heart to be peacemakers, a heart to stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when everybody's bowing down to this world narrative that we can stand up as the light on your word. We could walk in this world and, and, and never compromise the word because we know that the word is what people need. The truth is what people need. The truth will save lives. Father, let our houses be devoted to you let my life, I pray this selfishly for myself, let my house serve you. Let our lives, there's no areas in our lives that we've not surrendered to you. Father, I pray for the entire church body. That even in areas like this where it's becoming so popular and so common for everybody to just speak negatively and poison towards other to, towards politicians and political leaders and government officials. It's become so easy to just slander because you're just a part of the, the culture. I pray for the church to rise above. I pray for the church to be the light in the midst of this, to be the peacemakers in the midst of this. That as the election starts to come near, that the church becomes the peacemakers. We vote the Bible, but we stand on the word. We stand on love and we stand on respect. We stand in submission. We stand in honor. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen.